My introduction to the sermon this morning starts when I was a 21-year-old youth pastor. Uh, scratch that. I wasn't a youth pastor. I was a youth director. I hadn't become a pastor yet. If you've been around the church, you know that these terms in certain environments can mean a lot. So I was a youth director. And it's probably good that I was a youth director because it gives me a little bit of a out for my ignorance in what happened. I was just a couple months on the job. I had been volunteering at a church as a youth volunteer, a youth leader. And then the youth pastor resigned. And the church was like, hey, you're in your first year of college studying to be a youth pastor. Do you want to be our youth director and replace this full-time youth pastor that we had? We know you're 21, you have no experience, but would you do this? And I thought, you're going to pay me to do what I'm doing for free? Absolutely, sign me up. So I became this church's youth director. And a couple months into me being the leader of this, of this youth ministry at this church, we had a, an evening where our youth group was together. It was a normal youth group night, and there was a core group of kids. Um, it was an incredible youth group, and we were doing our Bible lesson. And one of the students, who I was getting to know very well, started acting funny during the Bible study. Like, the only category that I had for what I was observing happening was, there seems to be some, something demonic happening. He, he, he seems to be possessed. I don't know. I think, I think something demonic is happening in this student. And so I'm trying to lead Bible study, and I'm observing this happening, and I'm not quite sure what to do. And so I, I, I paused the Bible lesson, and I got a couple of my other youth letters, leaders. I said, can you, can you, like, keep the whole group busy? And then me and three other leaders took the student, and we left the youth room and came to the sanctuary, the holy place, right? Because God's presence is more here than it is in the youth room, right? Of course, that's not true, not true at all, but we, like, we had to remove the student from the group because there was some, some acting out, some stuff happening, and so we came over to the sanctuary, and we began praying for the student, laying our hands on him, praying for him, asking God to heal him, to, to cast out this demon. We didn't know what we were doing, but we were praying. We were pleading with God, and this went on for a couple hours. We reached out to his guardians. Um, his, he, he lived with uh, people other than his parents and, you know, kind of explained to them what was happening. And they said, yeah, he's been diagnosed with a mental illness and he stopped taking his medication and we think you should probably bring him home. And so we got the student into our car and we drove him home. And over the course of the next couple months, he got back on his medication and he began to stabilize. And he continued to come to youth group. And we continued to talk about like his, his, his mental diagnosis and medication and also the spiritual. And was there any spiritual presence happening that night? Was there a demonic episode? I'm not exactly sure, but what I do know and what I have learned and observed and experienced over the years is that oftentimes the physical and the spiritual connect and there's some type of related activity happening. And I say this to bring up the tension that we're going to deal with today. It's the tension between the physical and the spiritual. I also have a bunch of subtitles just like last week because I couldn't quite land the plane. I think all of these fascinate me as I think about this topic, the natural and the supernatural facts and feelings rational, emotional, head and heart, body, soul, science and faith, medicine, and miracles. Maybe you've been in a situation where you've experienced something like that, like, what's going on here? Is this a spiritual thing, or is it a physical thing? Is, is this manifestation, is this problem happening in the head, or is it happening in the soul, in the spiritual realm? Maybe you've been diagnosed with a disease, and you've had people tell you, you need to medicate that disease. Maybe you've had other people tell you, Pray, pray, pray. Be careful and cautious of the medication. There's this tension that you and I experience in life that relates to the physical 
and the spiritual. Now, as we step into the topic this morning, I want to be very sensitive because some of you have been deeply wounded and hurt by a lack of embracing the tension. See, throughout the sermon series, we're not trying to solve tension. We're trying to embrace tension. And and I'll just play my cards out right out front that usually there is a, a, a both and in our life. There's something physical and spiritual. We are holistic beings who God has created as physical creatures with a spiritual soul. And so if you've been wounded or hurt by these ditches of people just addressing things physically or people only addressing things spiritually, I'm sorry for that hurt and that wounding and that that, that Christian malpractice. What we need to do this morning is to step into this more nuanced and, and, and tension-filled gray of how God works in both the physical and the spiritual. I'm going to invite you to stand as I read our text for today, which is found in Mark. The Gospel according to Mark, it's chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. It's on page 848 in the Pew Bible. Mark 12, starting in verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. Classic church people, right? And seeing that he, being Jesus, answered them well, the scribe asked Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Here Jesus is quoting a famous passage from Deuteronomy chapter 6 called the Shema, which good Israelites would quote every day as they would wake up. Here is the most important. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. (laughs) I love that the scribe is answering Jesus. Yeah, you're right. You got it right. You have truly said that he is one, and there are no other gods beside him. And to love him with all the hearts and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered him wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. God, I pray that you would help us to embrace your truth this morning. Your commandment, your call, your invitation for us to love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, and then out of that that we would love our neighbor as ourself. God, would you have your way? Would you speak truth? Would you minister to our hearts? Would you help us become whole? In your name we pray. Amen. You may have a seat. And so Jesus, upon being asked this question, which is the most important? Which is the most important? He goes to the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5, and in verse 28 here in Mark, he summarizes it. Hear, O Israel. And now in the New Testament reality, we can can say that when he says, hear, O Israel, he's saying, hear, people of God. 
Here the, the son of God, Israel was known as the son of God, or here the sons and daughters of God. This stands for you and I today, 2,000 years removed from when Jesus spoke it, and 3,500 years removed from when God originally spoke it to his people, Israel. The Lord your God is one. There's one God. His name is Yahweh, creator of heaven and earth. He is over all and above all. And our call, our command, or our invitation, depending on your wiring, and some of you really like commands. You're like, just tell me what to do. Other, others of you buckle at commands. And you're like, don't tell me what to do. In fact, if you tell me what to do, I'm probably going to do the opposite. Right. And you might need to hear it as, here's your invitation. Here's the invitation or the command from Jesus. You shall love, that word love is agape. It's the sacrificial, holistic, all of life love God, your Lord, your master, your God, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. Now, in the Shema, it says, it says that you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your might. In the book of Matthew, as Jesus is recorded, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. Here in the Matthew recording, Matthew includes heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, people will go to great lengths to try and figure out how this works. Like, what is Jesus saying? What, is, what, what does he mean by all of my heart? What does he mean by all of my soul? What does he mean by all of my mind? What does he mean by all of my strength? How are these things different? And, and oftentimes, what we will do in a Western context is we will build these compartments, right? And we'll say, well, all of my heart, that must be my affections. That's how we think about the heart. All of my soul, that must be, I don't know, what's the soul? My eternal being, like this intangible, the spirit, the soul inside of me. All of my mind, that must be my thought, my, my, my logic, my rational thinking, and all of my strength, that, just, that must be my muscles, or my lack thereof, right? My bones, hopefully I have strong bones, and, and so we'll do, like, some, some people will do great lengths to try and try to nail this down. And I think here's one of the most helpful things. This comes from a commentator in the ESV Study Bible. He says, heart, soul, my, might, and mind do not represent rigid compartments of human existence, but rather together refer to the whole person. And so biblically, there, there is a little bit of differentiation between the heart, the soul, the mind, and the strength. I mean, strength really probably does mean the physical being, your body. But mind and heart are a lot more closely connected in the biblical worldview and mind than in our Western understanding. Like, we'll often say it, it's a long route to travel the 18 inches from your head to your heart, right? Implying that what we know, it's hard to get it into what we feel. But biblically speaking, the head and the heart are much more connected than that. They actually communicate. They work together. They're actually seen as one thing in the scripture. And so I love this, this quote, this, this sum, summarization of it, is that what Jesus is getting across here is not trying to differentiate how we love God, but he's trying to say we love God. The call, the command, the invitation is that we love God with everything, all of our logic, all of our emotions, all of our feeling, all of our body, everything. I think the Bible Project does an incredible job of helping us to understand the heart. And so we're going to watch a video here that explains how a biblical worldview understood the heart. But I think it's going to expand our understanding of what Jesus says here when he says, all of your heart, 
all of your soul, all of your might, and all of your mind. So let's take three minutes and watch this video. All right, so hopefully that helps us understand what Jesus is getting at here in Mark chapter 12 when he quotes the Shema, right? And then he says that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and all of our strength. He's saying everything that we are is welcome at the table, and this is how we love God. Now, what I want to do is spend a little bit of time talking about how we often fall into ditches of either the physical or the spiritual. And the ditch of the physical, right? It's just all things are physical. And in our Western world, in our Enlightenment society, it's often over here, right? Everything is physical. There's, there's, there's a reason for everything that can be explained by science and just physicality. Or sometimes in the church and spiritual worlds, it's all spiritual. There's, there's always something happening behind the scenes that is spiritual. One of the ditches of the physical is that we physically bypass spiritual realities. And then the ditch of the spiritual is we spiritually bypass physical realities. Now again, let me remind you as we do this, we're not solving this tension, we're embracing it. I'm not trying to get you to see life as more physical or more spiritual. I think Jesus, in this prayer, in this command, in this invitation, he's saying it's holistic. If you're going to be a well-formed, well-rounded disciple, you need to love me with all of who you are, the physical being that I have created. You are created in my image and likeness. Your, your body, it somehow images God, but also the soul, the spiritual side of us. Together, that makes us humid image bearers of God. And so I can tell you from my own life, like I have often physically bypassed spiritual realities and I've also spiritually bypassed physical realities. And when I choose one or the other is when I lack a greater understanding and experience of God. When I was uh, about a year before I had that experience where I prayed for the student who was having um, a, a mental health crisis. And again, there was some spiritual stuff going on. So I think he needed both prayer and medication, but about a year before that happened, I was playing baseball in college, and um, I, w I was so excited because I was, uh, I was, my first year, I had transferred from a tech school to a Bible school, and I also was playing baseball, and there was a starting shortstop who was transferring to a different school the next year, and that Shortstop's my second favorite position. Pitching's my favorite position, and then shortstop. And the coach was like, hey, I want you to pitch for this team, and the next year I want you to be the starting shortstop. And so I was, I was excited about my career, uh, my college career, and potential to play baseball. And so my first year there, the team went down to Florida for spring training. And we're down there. Um, the choir from my college happened to be down there also, and my wife happened to be in the choir, and we weren't dating yet at this time, but we did have a long walk on the beach which led to us getting married eventually. Uh, that's beside the point. I don't know why I tell you that. Um, so I think it was our third game down in Florida. I had played the outfield a little bit because shortstop position wasn't open yet, but I was also going to pitch. And so third game, uh, coach has me pitch. He, he pulls me in from left field, and I came in to relieve the starter. And so I get on the mound, I warm up, and uh, the batter steps into the box and a couple pitches in. And my fifth pitch... I threw, and I just felt something tear in my arm. I couldn't, I couldn't lift my arm up. I looked into the dugout at my coach, and I just shook my head, and he was like, 
He shrugs. I'm like, I, 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 can't, I can't lift my arm. So I walk off the mound. He meets me halfway. I'm like, I, I don't know what happened. I can't lift my arm. Got into the dugout, um, you know, game finish. We went back to the hotel, and we're like trying to, you know, there's a, there's a physical therapist with us, and we're trying to think through what might have happened to my arm, and we're in the hotel, like, you know, just, I'm, I'm like crushed in my soul, my spirit, like, man, I, I don't know what's going on. And uh, so we're in my coach's hotel room, actually, and we're talking about it, and then I, I was going to a Bible school, and so we're also like, well, let's pray about it. Maybe God will heal your arm. I'm like, yeah, I hope he will, because that's what I want. And so we're praying for healing, and, uh, you know, didn't happen. I wasn't able to lift my arm still. Um, that kind of time ended, and we had some more time to kill until the next day, and so we turn on the TV, and this uh, healing preacher named Benny Hinn was on the TV, and <laughs> I think we jokingly did this, but we were kind of like, hey, let's touch your shoulder to the TV, see what happens. So we touched my shoulder to the TV, nothing happened, my arm wasn't healed, I had to end up going to do physical therapy, a lot of physical therapy. Turns out I tore the labrum in my shoulder. There's a physical reality. Now, if I really believed touching my TV to the screen and having Benny Hinn pray over it would heal, that, now, I don't, I don't want to discredit God. That could happen. Stuff like that does happen, but not always, Right? For me, I couldn't spiritually bypass the physical reality. The physical reality was I had a torn labrum, and I either needed surgery or rehab. I tried rehab, didn't work. Hindsight, I should have gotten surgery. But also connected to that, so that was a physical problem that I had to address physically, but God in his providence, over the year and a half of me trying to rehab and trying to figure out if I could get back to playing baseball, God used that physical reality to reveal some spiritual idols that I had. And so it was this physical and spiritual thing, but healing to my shoulder wasn't going to come through prayer. Healing to my shoulder was going to come through addressing the physical reality of what was happening, and then God was using all that to do some spiritual healing within my soul. And so it's, a, it's not an either or, and it's a both and. Some of you have probably experienced this, right? Like the, the ditch of physical will say that medication trumps prayer. Medicate, medicate, medicate. It's always greater than. Or the ditch of spiritual prayer is greater than medication. We don't need medication. Just pray about it. You don't need to see a physical therapist. Touch your shoulder to the screen and have Benny Hinn pray over it. And this could, this could, this, man, so many of you have experienced wounding with this. This could apply. My father-in-law passed away from cancer a couple years ago. Four-month journey. Diagnosed out of nowhere. Completely healthy. Diagnosed with cancer. Four months later, died. And in that journey, so many questions, so many wrestling. Do we do chemo? Do we do radiation? Do we try natural medicine? Do we do this? Do we do that? And, and, and some people are like, no, just pray. This is spiritual in nature. Pray, pray, pray. Don't worry about chemo. Pray. Right? And there's woundings when we jump into these ditches. Some of you may have experienced this with mental illness, depression, anxiety, there's many opinions, and sometimes well-meaning Christians will fall into the ditch of the spiritual, and they'll say, you don't need medication, you need more prayer, you need more faith, totally discounting the physical reality. And sometimes well-meaning Christians will say, well, don't worry about prayer, just take your medication. 
This is purely physical, and we can't fall into these ditches. I love this line from a song by Chris Renzema called God and Prozac. Prozac is an antidepressant, anti-anxiety medication. Chris Renzema is a worship leader. He has amazing music, and I love his honesty in the song, God and Prozac. He says, here's the lyric, The better part of my 20s spent writing songs about God on Prozac prescription. Doesn't that seem odd? Because I believe in the gospel and a God who is good, but these chemicals don't always work like they should. And there's a good example of holding these together. This, this worship leader's confession that there's some chemical imbalance in my brain that Prozac helps, yet I also believe in God and the gospel. And so many of us have been wounded or we've created wounds by saying it's one or the other when in reality it's both and. Jesus says, love me with all of you. Sometimes your brain is misfiring. There's, there's, there's complexity and nuance to this. The ditch of physical and spiritual can, can lead us sometimes to say science has all the answers or science has no answers. And church, I want to I want to remind us and warn us to be careful about falling into these ditches because all it brings is destruction. The ditch of physical and spiritual could could lead to (laughs) believing that there are very few spiritual forces of good or evil, right? Everything is physical. It can all be treated. It can all be medicated. It can all be diagnosed using our intellect and our reason and our sciences. Or, on the ditch of the emotional, there's a demon behind every bush or an angel behind every blessing. Uh, there, there's, a, there's a great podcast that I've listened to about spiritual warfare. And in this, uh, in this podcast, the, the presenter who has a lot of experience with spiritual warfare and demonic activity, you know, he says sometimes, like some of these more spiritual churches, the spiritual dish, they'll say, the, the, this is where the phrase comes from, there's a demon behind every bush or every corner, right? Like, everything is demonic. And he's like, no, there's just probably a demon behind every third bush. Right? Like, for some of us, the spiritual forces of good and evil are far more prevalent than we give credit to. But to some of us, you give all the credit to the spiritual forces of good or evil, and it might just be physical, right? Like, oh, an angel blessed me. No, that might have been your neighbor who blessed you. Right? Food showed up out of nowhere. Or, man, I remember back in the day, uh, Brittany and I were struggling financially, and $500 cash showed up in our mail. Who, who sends cash? I don't know. Maybe an angel. No, I'm pretty convinced it was somebody who knows us and knows our needs, and they dropped it off in the mail box. And, and that's a blessing from a human, right? It was a, it was a spiritual blessing that came through a physical form. An angel, maybe an angel, delivered it. That stuff does and can happen. Right? We feel this tension, though. We have to stay more holistic in our thinking. In the ditch of physical and spiritual, sometimes we say knowledge is power. That's a, that's, that's a quote of our world, right? Knowledge is power. And we can combat that spiritually and say, no, knowledge is pointless. Because in the book of Corinthians, chapter 8, verse 1, I can't remember if it's chap- book 1 or 2 off the top of my head, but Corinthians 8, 1, 1 or 2, the Apostle Paul says that knowledge puffs up but love builds up, right? And so when the world says knowledge is power, we got to know, we got we to have research, scientific fact, we, we need knowledge. Well, the Bible will caution us and say knowledge can puff you up. 
But the ditch of spiritual doesn't say that, well, now knowledge is unimportant and it's pointless. In fact, all knowledge is going to do is build your pride. No, the the Bible also calls us, Jesus himself says, he, he prays that they may know me. And this knowledge isn't just intellectual, right? His prayer here is that we would love him with all of us, not just our head, not just theologically, not just doctrinally, but also not just relationally and in the emotions and the feelings, but a holistic embrace of all that he is. Oftentimes we fall into these ditches in the church and in the world that fact and logic are greater than feeling and emotion, or feeling and emotion are greater than fact and logic. Some of this has to do with our theologies, how we were raised. Some of this has to do with how we're wired. Some of you might be more of right brain processors. Some of you might be more of left brain processors. And how we tend to process information, how we tend to be wired, what tends to work for us, we tend to project that onto other people, do we not? Yes? Amen? Yeah? And maybe you don't think that you do, but you've certainly felt other people do that to you, right? And and that's how you know because it bumps up against how you're wired. So if you're like, man... Church needs more intellectual, theologically sound, deep worship music. The reason you're saying that is because you've been bumped up against somebody by who's somebody who's more emotive, who's more expressive in their worship, and you think they're wrong. And then the expressive worship person will often say, "Man, the church needs more expression." We need more passion. Why are you saying that? Because you've bumped up against somebody who's a little bit more intellectual in their wiring. We're, we're falling into these ditches. Now, I, I read this book a year ago. I highly recommend it. It's called The Relational Soul. And in this book, the author says, our earliest communication is emotional. Now, here, here's why I'm going to share this quote. Uh, let me go back before I get into this quote. I think... In my experience and observation within the evangelical church that I am more familiar with and accustomed to, we tend to move towards the ditch of the physical. Now, there are American churches, evangelical churches, that fall more into the ditch of the spiritual, but my experience and observation has been we tend towards the ditch of the physical. Logic, reason, theology, doctrine, knowledge. We just got to know the right things. And so I want to, again, we're not trying to solve the tension. We're trying to embrace the tension. And in order to embrace the, the, the tension, my observation of the church is that we need to move more towards the spiritual reality in general. Now, some of you, you may be opposite. You may be like, actually, I need to be pushed towards the physical, towards the logical, towards the reasonable. But here, I, I want to read some quotes here. And I, th- I think you're going to um, probably identify that why I say that I think the average American evangelical church tends towards the physical and downplays the spiritual, the emotional, the feeling. And so in this book, they say, our earliest communication is emotional. We don't think our blueprint into existence. We feel it into existence long before we can compose conscious thoughts. Thus, emotions play a critically important role in relational development. This is why it is so important for us to pay attention to our emotions. Our emotions, not just our thoughts, must be faced and felt because they constitute a window into the deep terrain of the soul. Now, 
more often than not, I've experienced and heard in the church, and maybe this is just because there's a lot of Scandinavian culture and influence in the Evangelical Free Church of America in Minnesota, which was started by Swedish and Norwegian people. Like emotions, you can't... Eh. Don't be so emotional. Be rational. Be logical. Have sound reason. But this is true, what, 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 what these authors are saying, and this is true, is that we are created first as emotional beings. And yet somehow in the church, we, we bypass our emotions and this feeling side, and we rush right to think, think, think. Use your head, use your head, use your head. Don't be too emotional. Don't even raise your hands and worship. Don't shout. I know the, the Psalms say shout all the time, but we've evolved. We're smart enough to rationalize the gospel. We don't need to feel the gospel. Right? And, and we're being reminded here that we are created as emotional beings, first and foremost. Another really incredible book, which I highly recommend, is called The Other Half of the Church. And, and some of why I think that the church is more on the logic side than the emotion side is influenced by this book. And I think they're right. These are some pastors and ministry leaders who over the years said, why doesn't our discipleship paradigm work? They're saying because typically in the American evangelical church, we use primarily the, the left side of the brain, which is the conscious thought, speech, strategies, problem-solving, logic, and stories. How often is like, we just need more Bible studies. We just need more sermons. We need more podcasts. We need more knowledge. I've got to keep going to BSF. It, you might need to go to BSF. It's a great thing. But how many Bible studies have you crammed into your head? I need more podcasts. I need more books. I need more information. I need more doctrine. I need more knowledge. And their observation of the American church is it's cramming the left side of the brain and it's neglecting the right side of the brain, which is more about individual identity and group identity. It's emotional attunement to others. That's why sometimes you... <laughs> Never mind. Um, assessment of surroundings, good, bad, and scary relational attachments, right? Like this is so often the church, and, and, and what they're saying is that in, here's how information works. It comes in the, the right side of our brain, which is more of the feeling connecting side, moves to the front, and I'm not a brain scientist, so this is just what I've learned from reading others. I could be wrong, they could be wrong, but it comes in the back side, moves, comes this way, and then it goes back to the left side, the, the processing thinking side. And so often we shut down the feeling, connecting, emotive side. Right? Like there's churches all over the country where it's like, don't get too emotional. Walk in. Think rationally, reasonably. We got to teach, teach, teach. At the expense of experience and connect and know and see and feel and be with. They say in this book that character formation which is a primary responsibility of the church. Yes, amen? Can we all agree with that? Is governed by the right brain, the connecting, relational, emotional side of the brain, not the left side of the brain. 
And yet we continue to want more information, more information, and more information. So church, what we need, if we want to embrace the this and that of the physical and the spiritual, or the this and that of the head and the heart, and really we can't even say the head and the heart because they're more connected than we, we realize. But if we want to embrace that tension, we don't need more information. We need more intimate connections with other people. We don't need more answers. We need more awareness and attunement of one another and of God's presence. We don't need more religion. We need more relationship to get to this both and relational connection. And so this morning, I just want to leave us with this passage. Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. Here's his invitation to you, or his command. Maybe you're more right brain and you creative, artsy, invitational. Here's his invitation to you. Maybe left brain, you're like information, logic, reason, command. That's probably oversimplifying it. Here's his invitation and or command to each one of us this morning. To bring all of who we are to him. All of our thoughts, all of our emotions, all of our doubts, all of our joys, all of our sorrows, all of our physical makeup, everything that we are. When the scripture says all, you know what the Hebrew word means? Or the New Testament Aramaic and Greek word? It means all. Bring all of us to him. Not just segmented parts. There's not parts of you that God loves and parts of you that he hates. He's not like, well, I really love your intellect, but I don't like your emotions. He's not like, well, I really love your emotions, but I really don't like your thought process. And he's like, no, all of that makes up who you are. And you, my child, my son, my daughter, you need to come to me with everything that you are. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, created in my image and likeness. Every single emotion that you have and feel, God the Father also has and feels. Every thought and question and doubt that you have, God understands. And so come, church family, come with all of who you are. And as you come to the table this morning, I just want you to ask yourself this question. Where, what, or how are you holding back from giving your whole self to God in this season of life? I don't know about you, but I often hold parts of me back because I don't think they're acceptable to God, because I'm trying to fix them, because I'm, I think I need to know more or I think I need to feel differently. And that's not what God is asking of me. It's not what God is asking of you. He's saying, don't hold yourself back. Bring everything that you are to the table and be hungry and thirsty to receive the righteousness that he offers us. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for this invitation, this command to love you with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength. I pray that as we come to the table this morning that we would consciously bring all of us to you. That we would know that we are accepted and welcomed and loved and that we would be transformed by your acceptance, by your welcome, by your love. 
and that, that transformation would, would cause us to move out and love neighbor as self. God, we acknowledge that you are present here in the physical and in the spiritual, in the tangible and in the intangible, in the seen and the unseen. And so we come to the table to experience you in that way, in a holistic, physical, and spiritual manner. Meet us, we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.